You're listening to Brains On. Where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and my co-hosts today are Tessa and Andrew. Hi, Molly. Hello. Well, we are really excited to have you here today to talk about dreams. Hey, hey, Molly, am I interrupting? Not at all, Sandin. Because there's totally popcorn falling from the sky right now. What? Look out the window. Cool. Wow, that's amazing. Now, Tessa and Andrew, what's your favorite kind of popcorn? I like mine with ketchup. Did you say ketchup? I happen to have some in my pocket. Thanks, Mark. I'll put it on the popcorn I have in my pocket. High fives. What is going on here? Look, now it's raining jellyfish. Run! Wait, how did we get outside? Tessa, didn't you hear? Run! It's raining jellyfish. Uh, okay. Good thing I have this umbrella in my pocket. Where's my umbrella? Why can't I run faster? What is going on? Tessa! What? Tessa! Huh? Tessa, wake up. We have to get ready to go to the Brains On headquarters for the taping. But the jellyfish, didn't we already? Come on, we're running late. Do you like ketchup on your popcorn? Ew, no. Why? Never mind. Okay, up and at him. Let's go. I should probably bring my umbrella just in case. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and I have two co-hosts here with me today, brother and sister Andrew and Tessa from Toronto. Hello. Hi. Hi. This episode was partly inspired by one of your questions, Tessa. You wrote to us saying that you have very vivid dreams. So, Tessa, how often do you remember your dreams? I don't know. Whenever I dream, they feel like they're real, but... Whenever I don't dream, it doesn't feel like anything at all. So which kinds of dreams do you remember? Like, what's usually happening in them? Well, it's usually me and my friends doing something, or, like, me and my family doing something. There was this one dream where me and Andrew, we wanted to go to school, and then we brought, like, a dollhouse and dolls, and then, like, we played And then it turned out, like, the dolls were, like, broken. And then, like, for this reason, school got dismissed early. So then we just went home, and then our mom was making lunch, and then our dad was at work. And then, like, we took animals, and we pretended it like they were our dad because we wanted to play with someone. (laughs) Wow, that is an amazing dream. And you remember it so well. It's very impressive. And how about you, Andrew? Do you, are you able to remember your dreams? Yeah, pretty much. The most realistic dreams, I, I tend to remember them. So how, do you, how are you able to tell the difference between those very realistic dreams and then real life? I just wake up in bed and, like, for one second you feel like, oh, like, say you got, I don't know, a new computer. It's like, oh, I'm going to go downstairs to check out my new computer. Then you realize, like, you're in bed. Yes, I know that feeling. You wonder why you're in bed. Would you say you like when you have dreams, or would you prefer not to remember them? Um, I think I like it when I have dreams, just because it's like sometimes like they have might have a message in it, like in the future, don't do that, or do this. 
uh, when I have homework and I re- and I realize, oh, I have homework. Those dreams like help me because like say I'm in French class and the teacher asks me where's my homework, then I'll wake up and go, oh, I have to get my homework done. Yeah, so it's sort of like a like something goes wrong in the dream, but then you can actually get it right in real life. Like a yeah. warning. Yeah, like a warning. Your brain's warning you. Good job, brain. Today, we're going to get into the reality of dreams. We dream every night about four to six times, but we usually forget most of them. They start about an hour and a half after you doze off, and the first dreams last about ten minutes. Then you stop dreaming but keep sleeping. About an hour and a half later, you start up again. It's a cycle, and your dreams get longer and longer each time. By the end of the night, you might be dreaming for almost half an hour straight. Those are the basics. Now, let's get to some of your questions. Hi, Molly. I wonder what happens when you dream. My question is, where do dreams come from? Why do people dream? Do all people dream? Do animals dream? And what do dreams mean? My question is, how are dreams created? Tickets, tickets, please. Tickets. Sandin? Sandin, what what are you doing? Is is that a roller coaster carriage? Yeah, I wanted to help answer those questions we just heard. So I took an old theme park ride and I turned it into a dream park ride. It's a trip through the sleeping brain. Your brain is actually pretty active while you dream. It's just active in different ways. Anyway, hop on or the ride will start without us. Okay, then. I called dibs on the front seat. Wait, is this a dream too? No, this is just normal brains on weirdness. Don't worry. Okay, all strapped in. Let's go. So, we dream during part of the sleep cycle called rapid eye movement sleep, or REM sleep. During this time, your eyes look like they're kind of darting back and forth behind the lids. That's how it got the name rapid eye movement sleep. We're going really high up. Well, sure, we have to fall asleep first. Fall? Are you absolutely sure this thing is safe? Absolutely not. Okay, here we go. Ah! Whoa, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Whoa. Is, every, is everybody still here? Barely. I'm fine, but I think Molly passed out. Hmm, Molly? Hey, hey, Molly? Yes, Miss Peter Schmidt? No, aliens ate my homework. Uh. I think she's in a dream trance. It's fine. She'll just dream her way through the ride. Now, a lot of the brain is resting during REM sleep, but some areas are actually more active at night than they are when awake. Whoa, where are we? Far out, man. Trippy colors, dude. Like, whoa, what a sight. This is the secondary visual cortex. It gets lit when we dream. Hey, has anyone seen my rainbow rhinoceros? It's over there, by Cuddly Frankenstein. Me love puppies, must snuggle all puppies. Your primary visual cortex is where you process the information from your eyes. It helps you see the world. But this, this is the secondary visual cortex. It's where our brains create the images and our imagination. So if I say, Hot Cheetos Forest, 
Whoa, those trees are made of bright red Cheetos. Yeah, your secondary visual cortex is super busy when you dream. That's why our sleep is full of these weird and wonderful images. Let me try. Uh, oh, oh, how about LeBron James Brown? Hey guys, this is my new pet, Parakeet Pete. Parakeet Pete. Molly, where do you get that neon orange bird? She dreamed it up in her secondary visual cortex. Hang on to Pete, Molly. We're moving on. Okay, walk and jump. Looking good. Now fly. All right. Now let's all run like we're being chased by cuddly Frankenstein. Come back. Me want to hug you to pieces. Great stuff, everybody. Now run and run and fly and fly. Now fall and fall. Looking good. Keep it up. Keep going. You've got this. Come on now. Where are we now? This is the motor cortex. It helps with our movement. It's also very active in REM sleep. That's why we're often on the go in our dreams. Luckily, there's another area, part of this section of the brain called the pons. It stops us from actually acting out our dreams. Oh, no. Come back here, Pete. Stop flying away. I can't catch up to you. Ah, Uh, Gotta go. Pete's a cracker. uh, Bye. Um, you're not moving, Mommy. Yeah, but she thinks she is. Her motor cortex is busy running, chasing, grabbing, but her pons keeps her pretty still. Whew, finally got to you. Boy, you are pesky, Pete. It's a good thing I have a deep, undying love for you. I'd be nothing without you, Parakeet Pete. Pete loves crackers and Molly. Whoa, she's bonkers for that bird. Yeah, part of the brain involved with emotions is also busy when you dream. That's why you can have these strong feelings that seem to come out of nowhere. Okay, hold on, everyone. We've got more to see. Wait, this is just a big, dark room. This is a lot less exciting than the last two stops. Yeah, this is the prefrontal cortex. When you're awake, this part of the brain is busier than Times Square. It helps you with planning, decision-making, making sense of the world. Safe to say, it's super important. But when we dream, it's pretty quiet. Echo! Echo! The language center of the brain is also pretty inactive during dreams. That's why it can be hard to talk or read sometimes. Has anyone seen my brother, Parakeet Pete? Wait, the bird is her brother? Oh, there you are, Pete, the pair of paisley socks. Okay, where did those socks come from, and what's going on? The socks came from her dream. See, when you're dreaming, your brain is getting all kinds of messages, like weird images from the secondary visual cortex, strong emotions, movement from the motor cortex, bits of memory and experiences. They don't really make sense together, but your brain kind of strings it all into a story. It's just not a logical story. And normally, this part of the brain run right now, the prefrontal cortex, it would look at all this mixed up information and say, hey, this is nonsense. But since it's less active during dreams, Molly's just going with it? Exactly. Our dreams are a mishmash of various parts of the brain just doing their thing. And since our prefrontal cortex has taken a break, we don't wig out when things suddenly change or if something makes zero sense. We just kind of ride it out. 
And speaking of which, this ride is over. You all survived, just like I totally expected you would. Ha! Oh, hey guys, did I fall asleep? Like instantly. And you befriended a bird who was also your brother, and then randomly socks? What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, I should have told you guys, another part of the brain that pretty much shuts down during dreams is the part responsible for long-term memory storage. When you're awake, this part of the brain files away important stuff so you can access it later. But in sleep, stuff just kind of comes and goes. You only remember your dreams if you think about them as soon as you wake up, once your long-term memory storage systems are back online. I have no idea what you are talking about, but weirdly, I am craving hot Cheetos, and I want to give Frankenstein a hug. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, I'm going for another spin, so I'll see you guys later. Bye. So now we know a little more about what's happening when we dream, but we still haven't answered the big question. Why do we dream? There are a lot of theories. To help us explore some of them, we spoke with dream researcher Deirdre Barrett. I'm an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School. Deirdre says an early theory comes from a guy named Francis Crick. We're calling it the garbage disposal theory. You'll see why. He published a theory. He had, a, he had one co-author with him, and they theorized that dreams were getting rid of memories and information that were not useful, that it was the way our brains kept from being cluttered up was to throw out unnecessary stuff every night, and that we were sort of watching the unnecessary stuff go by. Hence, the garbage disposal nickname. And he even proposed that paying attention to dreams and trying to remember them might be bad for you because it was exactly what you were supposed to be forgetting. All evidence shows that, if anything, dreams contain some of the things that we are trying to remember and help us consolidate useful memories. So the garbage disposal of theory has been pretty much disposed of. So... On to another theory. This one is called the Threat Simulation Theory. This is a group in Finland that believe that all dreams are getting us ready for threats, that we're practicing things we could do in the face of danger, then we do better when we, when we encounter a real threat. So, when you're running from a jaguar in a dream, or showing up unprepared for a test, that's just your brain practicing in case these things happen when you're awake. Your brain is simulating threats. The biggest problem with the threat simulation theory is that most dreams don't have a big threat in them. Many dreams are happy and people are doing things they enjoy and there just really doesn't seem to be a threat there. It's sort of the opposite of another theory proposed by a guy named Sigmund Freud. Freud believed all dreams were wish fulfillment. He thought we were doing stuff we wanted to do but couldn't act out in real life. And he had the same problem, that some dreams are happy and do look like wishes are being fulfilled, but some dreams fit the threat simulation. You know, scary things are happening and you're trying to figure out what to do with them. So neither of those theories seems to really account for most dreams, or at least they have to account for them in very convoluted things of saying, well, a threat is really so scary that it's showing up as a wish instead, or... 
or vice versa? Deirdre says no one theory seems to fit all dreams. But then again, maybe we don't need a theory. I mean, I I personally think that even asking the question, what are dreams for, is not something we'd ask about waking thought, or at least we wouldn't expect one simple answer, you know, if you if you say what what is thinking for. It, it's kind of for everything. It's, you know, it's fulfilling and your wishes. It's contemplating threats and figuring out what to do if you're in a scary situation. You're thinking about your personal relationships. You're thinking about work if you're an adult and school if you're a kid. So I think that dreams are probably for just as broad an array of things as our waking thought is. But But there are many theories that try to say dreams have this one function. So Tessa and Andrew, do you have a theory about why we might dream? Um, so you know how people are always trying to find something to do, mm-hmm. whether that might be fun or not, not so fun, but you have to have something to do or it's like really boring. So I think that your brain dreams because it needs something to do while half of it is shutting down. Nice. I like that idea. Tessa, do you have any thoughts about why we might dream? Um, I don't know. Maybe, like, your brain just, like, maybe wants to give you, like, a message or a warning about what happens in, like, earlier on or something like that. Oh, I like that idea, too. You guys have some really good ideas. Are you guys feeling alert and awake? Totally. Yeah. Well, you're going to need your wits because here comes the mystery sound. Mystery sound. Here it is. You'll hear it again because it's a really short one. Any thoughts on what that might be? Um, maybe like something falling into like Money falling into a glass jar. Excellent guess. Andrew, do you have a guess? I think it might be uh, like when you put the dishes in the sink uh, and you have a utensil in like a bowl. Like the the utensil will like jump around Mm. if you put it in. Yeah, those are both really, really good guesses. Well, we're going to be back with the answer a little later in the show. mystery sound you want to share with us? Maybe a drawing or a question? Yeah, like maybe you want to draw a picture of us on the dream coaster with Parakeet Pete, or maybe you want to draw a picture of jellyfish raining from the sky. That would be awesome. That would make me very happy. Well, you can send those all to us at brainzon.org slash contact, or we also accept physical mail. You can find our mailing address at brainzon.org. And here's something else we want you to send to us at brainzon.org slash contact. We're working on an episode all about things that are the most, the fastest, strongest, the oldest, you know, stuff like that. If you were going to give a mosty award, what would you give it to? Maybe it's the funniest joke, the tastiest food, the most stylish color. Truly, whatever category you can dream up, we'd like to hear your winner. I think I'd give the mosty award for the most comforting lunch to noodles and cottage cheese. 
You really can't beat it. Send your Mosty Awards idea to us at brainson.org slash contact. That's where Jahan sent us this question. I am Jahan, and my question is, how do octopuses make ink? We'll answer that question during our moment of um at the end of the show. You can find lots more Moment of Ums by searching for Moment of Um wherever you listen to Brains On. The Moment of Um podcast has daily answers to your wonderful questions. And we'll read the most recent list of names to be added to the Brains Honor Roll. You're listening to Brains On. I'm Molly. I'm Andrew. And I'm Tessa. And today we're deep in dreamland. But before we get too much sleep, let's go back and listen to that mystery sound one more time. Any new thoughts? I still think it's like a hard object hitting glass, but not breaking it, like bouncing inside of something. Really good. Yeah, me too. Or like porcelain. Yeah, like, but I changed my mind about, like, the coin because mm-hmm. I feel like maybe something not too, like, clinky that would, mm. like, so maybe, like, something light, like a button or something like that. Very good guess. Here with the answer is producer Mark Sanchez. That was the sound of a key dropping out of my hand and onto an overturned plate. So you guys were really close. And that totally makes sense with this dreaming episode, so see you later. Bye. It's so random, though, like the key. Well, wait a second, Mark. That doesn't really make sense. I don't think, like, we're just hanging around dropping keys on plates. I mean, I don't. Well, maybe you don't, but surrealist painter Salvador Dali did. Okay, so he used to do that, but why did he do that? Well, first you have to understand the word realism. If you're a realist painter, you're trying to make exact drawings and paintings of the world around you. But a surrealist painter takes what we see in the world and changes them. For example, Dali's most famous painting is called Persistence of Memory. And it kind of looks like a desert scene with these big, giant, melting clocks scattered around. Kind of like something you'd see in a dream. Okay, so what about this key and plate? Right, the key and the plate. Dali would get all cozy in an armchair and get ready to take a nap. Then he would place a heavy key between his thumb and forefinger. And just when he started drifting off to sleep, that key would fall out of his hand and onto a plate he'd placed on the ground underneath him. The noise would wake him up, and he would immediately try to paint what was in his mind. Researchers call this state hypnagogia. It's that state of mind where you're kind of half-dreaming and just starting to let go of reality. Inventor Thomas Edison and physicist Albert Einstein were also known to take these hypnagogic micro-naps, too. Einstein's most famous discovery, the theory of relativity, you know, E equals mc squared, that theory also has its beginnings in a dream. When Einstein was a teenager, he dreamt about a herd of cows next to an electric fence. Typical dream. Then he sees a farmer churn on the electric fence, and the cows all jump back at the same time. The farmer, in his dream, however, tells Einstein that he saw the cows jump back one at a time. And this gave Einstein the idea that people experience things differently, depending on their perspective. Einstein's theory of relativity has a similar point of view. Where you are in the universe, you can experience time differently. There's evidence of people using parts of their dreams as inspiration all over the place. Maybe you've heard of a little band called The Beatles. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. 
Speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Singer Paul McCartney said he was inspired to write the song Let It Be when he dreamed of his mother. She died when McCartney was a teenager, but he says she visited him in his dream to let him know that everything was going to be okay. Let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. Whisper words of wisdom, let it be. And before you start to think that all these inspiring dreams happen way back in the past, take a listen to this. People like you always want back the love they gave away. The average under 20-something knows the cool sounds of Taylor Swift. Can I call her Tay-Tay? No, I'm being told I'm too old to call her Tay-Tay. Well, listen to what Ms. Swift said in this GQ magazine interview about her song. All you had to do was stay. I had a dream that my ex showed up at my door, knocked on the door, and I opened it up, and I was about ready to launch into, like, the perfect thing to say. And instead, all that would come out of my mouth was that high-pitched chorus of people singing, Stay! And I, and then you're like, and then you go to say something else, and it's just like, Stay! 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 And I woke up, I was like, oh, that was mortifying. But that's kind of a cool vocal part. Tessa, Andrew, Molly, I plan to say a lot more to you, but for some reason, the only thing I can think to say is stay. So I guess I'll leave. Tessa and Andrew, we asked you to do a little experiment for us before the taping. We wanted to see if you could control your dreams. So, Andrew, can you tell us what we asked you to do? Um, you guys asked us to repeat a line. I think it was... I will remember what my dream is. I will dream of blank mm-hmm. and see if we could remember our dreams, and we would repeat it ten times. We were also supposed to see if we could control our dreams. Like, yeah. Like, to dream what we wanted to dream, and then you asked us to keep, like, a paper beside our bed and write down what we remember about it. So what did you find? Were you able to control your dreams? I was not able to <laughs> control my dreams. I, I remember our uh, one dream... I dreamed of dogs or puppies, and I ended up dreaming of myself being the pet and the puppy being the owner, but it's relatable. Opposite day. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And I have a question for you. Have either of you ever been dreaming, but you actually know that you're dreaming while you're in it? No. Not that I recall. I mean, I probably would have forgot it. When you're dreaming and actually know that you're dreaming, that's called lucid dreaming. So you're in a dream and you say, wait a minute, I'm dreaming. And then you stay in the dream. It's kind of like the best virtual reality simulator. Typically, a lucid dream is really a very impressive experience. And and therefore, you remember it quite well. And indeed, if you have a lucid dream, then, then you really realize that you do have one. That's neuroscientist Martin Dressler, and he studies dreams. Now, only about half of us have ever had a lucid dream, and for those who have had lucid dreams, it happens pretty rarely. But kids have lucid dreams much more commonly than adults do. And remember what Sandin said about the prefrontal cortex not being very active during dreams? That's not the case for lucid dreams. 
during lucid dreaming, we find that these areas get reactivated again. So they show um, almost uh, wake uh, activity patterns. We see indeed that people who have a lot of lucid dreams show in these very same uh, brain regions that they show more gray matter. So that brain are, brains are sort of bigger in these regions. There are also other associations, for example, mindfulness. So people who meditate a lot typically tend to have also more lucid dreams. Even if you've never had a lucid dream, you can train yourself to do this. And it's actually kind of easy. There are a couple of tricks and strategies to do that. Most and foremost, just think more about your dreams. So during daytime, just think about the dream of the last night. In particular, think about what was strange in that dream and think about these strange things. So if that really becomes a habit, that you think about your dreams, that you think about dream topics, in particular, think about strange things that are happening in dreams, um, then the chance is high that the next time when you are dreaming, and in particular when you are dreaming about strange things, that then you also start with that reflection and start thinking about your dream and uh, that actually is a lucid dream already. Keeping a dream journal like we had you guys do also helps a lot. And telling yourself before you go to sleep, I will realize I'm dreaming, often leads to lucid dreaming. It's amazing how powerful our minds are. Yeah. So do you think it would be fun to be able to lucid dream? Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, it would feel like you're actually in somewhere, but then it would be easy to snap out of it, I guess. Yeah, it sounds fun. Most people who uh, try to get lucid or train lucid dreaming just do it out of fun, since it's it's really it's just an, an action movie where you are uh, in, in control. Um, but lucid dreaming indeed has some practical applications. Martin says lucid dreaming can be really powerful nightmare therapy. If you're having a nightmare, you can train yourself to realize it and change it into a good dream. It's also helped people with anxiety, and it can help you get better at the stuff you do in real life. Lucid dreaming has been shown to increase uh, motor learning, for example. If you train certain motor skills during lucid dreaming, uh, typically on the next day you are better in these skills. And there are surveys among professional athletes showing that indeed uh, a couple of, of professional athletes use lucid dreaming for training during the night. So it could make you better at shooting baskets and also better at, say, writing. There are some studies pointing towards an association between creativity and lucid dreaming. But in particular, lucid dreaming might help insofar as all the normal um, characteristics of dreaming that might be associated to creativity, in particular the hyper-associativity, so that, that you associate very unnormal and, and unusual um, things with each other. That is present in lucid dreaming. However, still you have control and can reflect on that. So Tess and Andrew, do you think you're going to keep trying to control your dreams? Maybe, like, if I'm having a streak of, like, nightmares, because you can just snap out of the nightmare. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I agree with Andrew. People have four to six dreams a night, even if you can't remember them. When you dream, your long-term memory storage is shut off, but other parts, like the secondary visual cortex and motor cortex, are super busy. And since your prefrontal cortex isn't very active, your brain takes all the random images, emotions, and storylines and just kind of goes with it. We're not really sure the purpose of dreams, but it likely helps us with a variety of things. Thanks to your brain hyper associating in your sleep, it can be a time of great creativity. 
And lucid dreaming can help you control the power of dreams to make your dreams and your waking life even better. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandin Totten, and Molly Bloom. We had production help today from Ned Lieberstreicher and Taylor Franey. We had engineering help from Veronica Rodriguez, Billy Heaton, and Corey Shreppel. Special thanks to Teresa Chung, Winston Young, Denzel Bielan, Eric Ringham, Christine Hutchins, Michael Olson, and Curtis Gilbert. Brains On is a non-profit public radio podcast. Your donations keep the show going. To support the show and see our cool thank you gifts, head to brainson.org slash donate. Now before we go, it's time for the moment of um. How do octopuses make ink? Okay, my name is Becky Dewchild. I'm an aquarist, uh, which is basically a zookeeper for fish here at the Minnesota Zoo. Octopuses make ink through an organ they have inside of their mantle called the ink sac. And there are specific cells that attach to the ink sac and create the ink. The octopuses use the ink in situations where they think something's going to try to eat them. They're gonna use the ink, squirt it out of the siphon tubes from their mantle and kind of confuse predators in order for them to escape away from the situation. The ink is made by the animal. There are cells that make it and it's pumped into the ink sac and then the ink sac empties into the intestine. Now all of these organs are inside of the mantle, which is kind of like the big bulbous part of the octopus. It's almost like a big bag and everything empties out of either the top, which is right next to their head, or the siphon tube that kind of comes out underneath their heads. The only reason that an octopus is going to ink is when it's in fear for its safety or even its life. Usually that's in the form of a predator, something that's trying to eat it. They will uh, squirt this ink out and it basically distracts the predator. It kind of allows the octopus a chance to escape away from the predator. Um, um, um. The ink is dry on this list. It's time for the Brains Honor Roll. This is where we read the names of the listeners who have shared questions, ideas, mystery sounds, and drawings with us. They make this show what it is. Cordelia from Northampton, Massachusetts. Sylvan from Washington, D.C. London from McKinney, Texas. Vetus and Molly from Maryland. Elise from Burnaby, Canada. Kesha from Westland, Oregon. Evelyn and Avery from Palo Alto, California. Parker and Savannah from Boise, Idaho. Rowan from Newton Abbott, England. Caleb from St. Paul, Minnesota. Ellie from Chattanooga. Evangeline from Alexandria, Virginia, Samuel from College Station, Texas, Emma from Seattle, Isabel and Junior from Banks, Alabama, Charlie and Christine from Charlestown, Massachusetts, Vivi and Ani from Livingston, Texas, Nyla and Lennox from Atlanta, Sophia from Cardiff, Wales, Skylar and Samantha from Brooklyn, New York, Ray from Toronto, Ben and Robert from Indianapolis, Isaac from Queens, New York, Oscar and Felix from Chaville, France, Anderson from Excelsior, Minnesota, Adria from Portland, Oregon, Finley from Reno, Nevada, Sylvia from Minneapolis, Layla from Victoria, British Columbia, Easton from South Carolina, Nathan from Lexington, Illinois, Mason from Sarasota, Florida, Lucy and Charlotte from Bel Air, Maryland, Alexander from Manassas, Virginia, Benjamin from Los Osos, California, Roshan and Ishan from Bellevue, Washington, Calvin and Vivian from Nazareth, Pennsylvania, Brock from Utah, Max and Felix from Sammamish, Washington, Hazel from Washington, D.C., Colin from Toronto, Ben from Cincinnati, Malcolm from Seattle, Orly from Burlingame, California, Jasper from Campbell, California, Owen from Lopez Island, Washington, Audrey and Dahlia from Bakersfield, California, Sister from Yukon, 
Charlotte, Canada, Quincy from Charlotte, North Carolina, Aubrey from Wilmington, Delaware, Riley from Terrytown, New York, Tad from Chesapeake Bay, Maryland, Jack from Henderson, Nevada, Riv from Wharton, Ontario, Rosie from Chicago, Ben from Bradenton, Florida, Paxton from Mississippi, Julian from Hockesson, Delaware, Beatrice from New York City, Emmy from Provo, Utah, Mabel and Dashiell from Toronto, Killian from Silverado, California, Amalia from Chicago, Penny from Grand Junction, Colorado, Zedrick from El Paso, Texas, Zohar from Denver, Madison from Woodbury, Tennessee, Emma from Washington, D.C., Reno from Ohio, Ethan from San Jose, California, Cecilia from Strathmore, Alberta, and Danielle from Columbus, Ohio. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening.